It is a real joy to be able to be together tonight in the presence of God and with you to honor the God of heaven and sing the songs and read the scripture and pray the prayer and do the things that we get to do that we're privileged to do in the presence of God and to encourage one another. Thank you for being here, if you're visiting tonight. Appreciate the songs that Mike picked out. I hadn't sung channels only in a long time, Mike, and uh, that just brought some, some great thoughts and memories to mind. Channels only, blessed Savior. Channels only, that's what we are. But with all your wondrous power, you can use us. Thou canst use us every day and every hour so that we can be used by the Lord no matter how weak and uh, insignificant we may think ourselves to be through God's power. He can use us for his glory. Isn't that a great thought? It's great to, it's great to worship with you all tonight. The lesson tonight sort of builds on the lesson to mor- this, uh, from this morning. You didn't have to be here this morning, so if you weren't here this morning, that's okay. But this one, if you were here, builds a little bit on that. We're going to be talking about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You see, one of Satan's most effective devices, one of his most effective, I'm not going to call it a lure, but it relates to the uh, lures that he is very effective with. But one of his most effective devices is getting people to believe that they are not vulnerable to temptation. Getting you and I to believe that temptation is not a problem to us. So much so that when we see sin in somebody's life, we can become judgmental and say, I don't understand how anybody could ever give into that. I would never give into such a thing as that, right? So much so that we think our wisdom is superior to other people's wisdom in every conversation that we're in. Just get on social media and see if Satan's not working pretty well there. So much so that we think we are invulnerable to the lure of temptation. A number of years ago, and I've used this as an illustration many times, and you probably some of you have heard it. A number of years ago, uh, I was privileged to visit NORAD in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Of course, I grew up there. I went to college there. NORAD, if you don't know, is the North American Aerospace Defense Command. The guts of it, if you will, is actually under Cheyenne Mountain. Uh, if you ever go to Colorado Springs, you can kind of see the lights of the parking lot about halfway up the mountain from, uh, at, at night. Uh, but I had the privilege of touring that. Maybe some of you have been in it as well with your work or on a tour. Not just anybody can get in there. But interestingly, when I was touring, uh, the inside of that, I was told by the person doing the tour, tour for us that um, they actually let the Russians in there. And my thought was, you what? <laughs> this, is, this is our most super secret uh, facility for defending you know, all of the space around America and all over the world, I guess. They even track Santa Claus, you know, and all that sort of thing. But no, they don't. But they say they do. But, you know, it's just, you let the Russians in here? Really? And, and the answer was, well, sure. We want them to see how prepared we are for them and how, you know, our, our, our defenses are just invulnerable. 
Now, I don't know about you, but this troubles me. (laughs) This troubles me. Because nobody's defenses are invulnerable. No nations are. And I understand we want confidence in our military. You know, our military needs to have confidence, for sure, that, you know, they, they can win the fight if it comes to that and all that sort of thing. But overconfidence is another, another issue, isn't it? And that's what we're really dealing with when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. The problem is that we think we stand. There is the problem. He thinks he stands. It's just pride. It's just overconfidence that leads to carelessness. It can happen in any aspect of life, but certainly in our spiritual lives it can happen. Proverbs 16 and verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. We know that verse. You're familiar with it. What's it saying? You think you're stable. You think you're high and great and mighty, and that's right when you're going to be subject to falling. Proverbs 29 and verse 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit retain honor. You'll find uh, pride is something that will lead to your embarrassment, not to your exaltation. A man's pride will bring bring him low. Honor is for those who are humble. This is seen all over the place, and yet Satan gets us to believe the opposite. That our pridefulness somehow defends our honor before others. It does not. It brings us to shame. So, exactly what the wise man says in Proverbs 11 and verse 2. When pride comes, then comes shame. Not exaltation, not honor. Shame. Let him who thinks he stands. So in 2016, uh, I went with a group of juniors from Athens Bible School as one of their chaperones uh, for a trip uh, down to Dauphin Island. And we went over on that trip to Fort Morgan, uh, crossed the way. And uh, it was a really enjoyable trip. The kids were good. You know, I love marine life and all that sort of thing. So I was just really enjoying all of that. We were touring Fort Morgan if you've ever been there, it's a really kind of interesting place to be. We had a guide who was showing us around. And there's a place there, there's a kind of a big grassy area where you, you go towards where some of the, uh, the buildings are. And we were walking across that. And I had my head up, you know, I was, I was thinking I was just doing just fine like this. And I didn't see, because I wasn't looking, that there was a, a step-off, you know, of significant uh, depth, about 18 inches probably, right in front of me. I didn't see that. And so I walked off basically a cliff. For me, 18 inches is a cliff, right? So I basically just walked off this cliff. And, and when I did, my body goes forward. I was thinking I was standing, but I wasn't. I was falling. Uh, and I went head forward, and I did like three somersaults, and I came up standing, just like this. And what did I do? Did I look to think I was, you know, see if I was hurt? Am I, no, no, no. First thing I did, first thing I did was to look around to see if anybody saw that. <laughs> Because it's embarrassing, right? We think we stand and we fall and it's so shameful and it brings us low. The devil doesn't want you to know that, spiritually speaking. He doesn't want you to recognize that truth that we all do know. 
And so to get this from the pages of the Bible into our minds and deep into our souls is kind of the goal of the lesson tonight. Let he who thinks he stands, what? Take heed lest he fall. Take heed. The Bible says that in different words elsewhere. It says, for instance, in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12, Beware lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Watch out. doesn't matter how strong you think you are, how faithful you think you may be. Here you are, an Israelite, a child of God. You've been brought up out of uh, Egyptian slavery. That's the example of Hebrews chapter 3. And yet, you don't make it to the promised land. You don't make it to the promised land because you didn't keep on believing in God and trusting in God. You walked through the waters of, of, of the Red Sea. You were blessed by God with manna from heaven, water from a rock. Yet, you don't believe Him. Your body falls in the wilderness. Beware there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing, falling away from, if you will, the living God. Or as Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 17, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. And this is where it gets back to the lesson this morning. The lure can get any one of us. You and I need to beware lest we are led away by the error of the wicked. Beware, beware. Be sober and vigilant. Watchful for this. Don't just, and that's the thing, don't just go around walking around all the time with your head up. You better watch where, my dad used to say, Steve, watch where you're going. That was, if I heard that once, you know, 20,000 times probably when I was growing up, watch where you're going, watch what you're doing. Watch. The Bible says, watch, be sober, be vigilant. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, there's an adversary out there. The devil is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. He's, he's, He's after us. Be aware of your surroundings, spiritually speaking. Be aware of how he's trying to get at you. Think about when things happen that you like or you don't like, think about what your reaction should be. Think about what the devil may be trying to accomplish through what is happening in your life right now. It's also good to think about what God might be able to be trying to accomplish through what's happening in your life. But I guarantee you the devil is trying to accomplish, accomplish things in your life as well right now too. And you need to be vigilant for those things. We need to watch and pray. That was the command that Jesus left with the disciples on the night that he was betrayed as he left them uh, in part of the Garden of Gethsemane and goes in further, but he tells them to watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. That's what we're looking at this morning, right? The flesh is weak. We give in to the lure. Watch and pray. That's the counsel of our Lord. There are three areas that I'd like to look at with you tonight where this warning that is given to us in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12 is especially impactful. Let him who thinks he stands take heed doctrinally. 
in each of these areas that we'll be looking at, we need to consider, I want us to consider, how pride leads to overconfidence and how the consequences of overconfidence are disastrous. What's involved in taking heed? Let's start with this. We are, in this church, blessed with an extraordinarily high number of people who really, really know their Bibles. That in and of itself is a wonderful thing. Now, if you all just got the big head, that's exactly what Satan wanted. You see that? See how treacherous that is? Well, Steve's right. Eastside does have a lot of good Bible students and a lot of good Bible teachers. Maybe, maybe the best in the brotherhood. Did I say that? Now we've really got the big head, right? That's what Satan wants. It's exactly what he wants. Because, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8 and verses 1 and 2, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. If anyone thinks he knows, he doesn't know as he ought to know. (laughs) Because to know is to know that you have so much that you don't know, that you need to keep on learning and growing and developing. And you're never there. You're never at the plateau where you can just, okay, I've made it here to this level of Bible knowledge we individually or collectively. We're never there. And if we think we are, we don't know. Knowledge puffs up. The awareness of knowledge can puff us up. Love edifies. Now what Paul's talking about in that context, and I'm not going to get into all of it, but basically there... there, people who thought they had all the answers relative to things like eating meats and the difficult questions of conscience that uh, the Corinthians were, were having to deal with. And so everybody, so, you know, everybody thinks I have all the answers to this. Well, Paul's telling me, you really, you really don't. You really haven't considered this, 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 and this. And he goes on really for three chapters showing them that if they think they have all the answers to all these you know, questions of conscience, there, there's about a dozen things they haven't considered yet and need to think about more deeply. Knowledge puffs up. And the result may be that if we think we know what? We think we stand. If we think we know, we think we stand, doctrinally speaking. And the result of that is we're liable to fall. We're liable to fall into strife because somebody who thinks he knows, who's sure that he knows, is willing to argue the point to death with anybody and cause whatever fight or strife may come from that because he knows. He knows. And he wants to make sure you know too. And if you don't accept that he knows... First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, 
knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such withdraw yourself. Here's another kind of person that needs to be withdrawn from. It's the person who really doesn't know anything, but insists that everything is taught and believed his way. He teaches things contrary to the truth of sound doctrine and the wholesome words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When the wise man said in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 10 that by pride comes nothing but strife, he knew what he was talking about. But with the well-advised, there is wisdom. Doctrinally, thinking that we stand, what I've said to you so far is that it makes us unable to grow. We don't need to learn anymore. We're like that little boy. You know, his dad took him to the ocean first time. The boy looks out at the ocean. And uh, his dad says, son, this is the ocean. The boy gets his little plastic bucket. He starts playing in the water, you know, fills his bucket up with water. Holds it up to his dad and said, look, dad, I got the ocean in my bucket. And that's how we are with truth. There's this vast ocean of truth that is God's word. And we have a little bucket and we think that's the ocean in our little bucket. And that's all the truth we want is the truth that's in our little bucket. But our bucket's full. See, we stand, but we don't. God's truth is vast beyond what it would take an entire lifetime to learn. Probably a thousand lifetimes. It is interesting, it is complex, it is instructive, it is wonderful, it is everlasting. It reaches, as the Bible says, to the heavens. God's truth reaches to, the, reaches to the clouds, the psalmist says. And so, pride, pride cuts us off from all of that. When we think, we know. And we stop learning. Second thing I've said is, it's going to cause strife. When we think we know, it's going to cause strife. That is, when we think we stand doctrinally. Please don't misunderstand me. We need to be confident that the truth is the truth. We need to be confident in our convictions. That's what convictions are for. We need to believe our, believe our beliefs and doubt our doubts. But there's something that's different between that and what I'm talking about. I hope you understand that. The other thing that happens when we think we stand doctrinally and we don't, is uh, just blatant hypocrisy. Blatant hypocrisy, frankly. Turn your Bibles over to Romans chapter 2. Notice this passage with me. Romans chapter 2 and verse 17. Paul uh, has already gotten all over the Gentiles uh, for their sins, and now he's exposing the Jews as being equally sinful uh, and hypocritical hypocritical about it to boot. So he says in, in Romans chapter 2 and verse 17, Indeed, you are called a Jew, you rest on the law, you make your boast in God, and know His will, 
and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. Now, I'm not sure if you're reading the same thing I am, but it sounds like these Jews may have thought they were standing doctrinally. Is that what you're seeing? They thought they knew and were ready to just teach anybody and everybody else was ignorant and needed to listen to them. And their basis of their knowledge was in the Old Testament law. Of course, Paul is going to submarine that before Romans is finished. But notice what he says next. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God by, through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Who's he describing? He's describing people who are thinking they're standing doctrinally, who are teaching everybody everything about God's law, while they themselves were living lives of total hypocrisy, blind to their own sins, failing to acknowledge the lures that they'd bitten, the things that the, through which Satan had led them astray. They were thinking, we're standing. And Paul says, you're hypocrites to the nth degree. You know it, but you're not doing it. And as I was telling my class this morning, knowing it is not enough. The difference between a man who knows what to do and doesn't do it and a man who does not know what to do in eternity will not exist. There is no difference between the man who does not know what to do and the man who knows but doesn't do. Except possibly the latter might be beaten with many stripes. Let him who thinks he stands doctrinally take heed lest he fall. Let him who thinks he stands in wisdom and judgment take heed lest he fall. Somebody who just believes that their, you know, their judgment is uh, always best and their two cents ought to count 25 cents and nobody else gets any cents, you know. That, that, that's the person that we're talking about. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. As a consequence... He exercises judgment in a way that fails to consider its effect upon others, for instance. If you go back to 1 Corinthians 8, there, again, Paul talking about this issue of should we eat meat, sacrifice to idols or not, what about this or that, concerning those things. And he says in 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, beware lest somehow this liberty of yours, the liberty to eat meat, is what he's talking about, the liberty to, do, to make these choices. But beware lest this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. I think uh, in, in our recent experience with COVID and things that people thought they had as rights and liberties, 
we have seen uh, an example of where a lot of people trusted their wisdom, which, who's out, who others, who, you know, trust your own wisdom without consideration of how it might affect somebody else. That's when we're so wise that we're fallen. If we think our judgment and our wisdom is so great and we haven't considered how the judgment that we make, our conscience decision, is going to affect somebody else's conscience or well-being, we have fallen. We can guard against this by carefully considering the opinions, the counsel, the judgment, and the interests of others when we consider anything. In Philippians chapter 2, that's exactly what Paul says, isn't it? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's just needed so bad in the world today. And yes, among God's people as well. Wisdom that we have to such an extent that we think our judgment is always the best doesn't consider the well-being of others. It is, in and of itself, self-seeking. James writes in James 3 about this. He says, who is wise, in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Who's really wise? Well, a lot of people think they are. Who's really wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. In other words, the way you act really shows if you're really wise or not. The way you treat others shows that. In the meekness of wisdom... If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing will be there. We think we're wise when maybe we're just self-seeking. We think we're being wise and we trust our own wisdom when we make plans for the future but fail to count God in on those. In chapter 4 of James, James talks about that. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You should say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. A wisdom that does not bring God into account is wisdom at all. And then thirdly, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall in dealing with sin. Again, bringing it back, back around to what we talked about this morning. Pride in our righteousness will always cause us to fall. Thinking that we stand in our own righteousness and that we are superior to others in this will certainly result in our falling. If the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee in in Luke 18 teaches anything, it surely teaches that. You know, the two men go up to the temple to pray, and one's this tax collector, and he wouldn't so much as lift up his eyes to heaven. He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the tax collector goes up, you know, he says, stands there. I thank you. I'm not like everybody else. I'm so, so much better. I know I'm paraphrasing all that. I'm so much better than everybody else. Even in the, so much better than this tax collector over here. 
I'm charitable, I'm giving, I'm righteous, I keep the law. I'm just such a good guy. And Jesus said, the tax collector went down to his house justified rather than the other. For he who humbles himself will be exalted. And he who exalts himself, he who thinks he stands in his righteousness, he who exalts himself will be humbled. As a consequence of pride in our own righteousness, as a consequence of failing to acknowledge or recognize sin in our lives, we don't guard against sin as we ought or seek a remedy for it as we should. We noticed this morning in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We're just lying to ourselves. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, it's only the acknowledgement of sins that will enable us to be forgiven of them. Failing to acknowledge sin, which is what everybody's doing, anybody's doing who is standing in their own personal righteousness before God. They are failing to acknowledge their sins because it's not that they haven't sinned. It's not that they don't have a problem with sin. It's that they haven't acknowledged the sin. Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So what does all of that mean? Well, it all means we need to examine ourselves with an unvarnished view of who we really are, how we really act. As we talked about this morning, we need to examine ourselves concerning our sins. The greatest athlete in the world, whatever sport you're talking about, whatever athletic competition you're concerned with, the greatest athlete in the world cannot win if they're disqualified. Yeah? Seems to be axiomatic, doesn't it? For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Because if you do, you'll be disqualified. I know the lesson's sobering. In fact, I hope both lessons today have been sobering. But ones that will bring us to a better understanding of who we are before God, our need for Him, and what's involved in this daily battle of sin that we're, with sin that we're in. Overconfidence will not, will not keep us in good stead. Thinking that we stand is not a benefit to us. Being confident in the Lord, that'll help us, but not in ourselves. Humility has ever been prized by God. God rejects the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The key to everything that we've talked about today is let's be humble before God. He is the Almighty. We are but dust. Let's remember that. Let's serve Him with meekness and lowliness. 
Let's understand who we are and who he is. Tonight, maybe someone here has recognized that you've just been a little bit overconfident about something in your life, that you've not been looking at it as you ought to have. Maybe, maybe you're ready to acknowledge something that you really know deep down is amiss in your life. And if that's your case tonight, and you're a brother or sister in Christ, and you need to come forward and confess that sin, let us listen to that and pray with you and for you. And God will forgive you and strengthen you. Whatever you need, we'd ask you to come while we stand and sing.